0: G'day, welcome to Lunch Money. We are live here uh, at your uh, online and social media home for special situations, workouts, and uh, capital-raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios. I am the director and fund manager here at Hermes Capital, and I am your Lunch Money host. Um, Today, we are going to look at uh, a couple of uh, conflicting narratives that are going on at the moment. Uh, We've got supposedly a booming economy. Uh, We can see house prices uh, going through the roof. Uh, We've got uh, uh, the RBA saying that uh, unemployment is going to come down to 4.5% sometime over the next 12 months, which is really, that is a hot, hot economy. In fact, they're talking about the economy being hot. And if you're as old as I am, uh, you'd remember back in the day when the Reserve Bank talked about a hot economy, or when uh, Paul Keating, for example, talked about the effervescing economy, Uh, that usually meant interest rates would go up, but... uh, Meanwhile, they're holding interest rates at 0.1%. So what is it that they're not telling us uh, is one question that I'd like to know. So I'm wondering how can um, how can small businesses and medium-sized businesses, how can they maintain the balance between not missing out on an effervescing economy? I mean, everything, you know, there's, there's as I say, unemployment's coming down, sales are going up. Everything's wonderful on one hand. So how can they avoid uh, missing out on the, on the effervescing economy but at the same time make sure that they don't get caught out uh should things turn a little bit nasty in terms of uh zombie companies and bad debts so uh i'll 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 introduce our guests and we'll, we'll talk about that shortly but just a little bit of quick housekeeping first remember to uh share like and subscribe to uh to the live stream and podcast if you do that, then hopefully uh, we can uh, share the love and, and get the message out to other people who uh, enjoy watching the show. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce our very first guest, uh, and that's Patrick Schweitzer. G'day, Patrick. How are you G'day, doing? Nick. Very good. Now, Patrick is a director at Alaris. Um, now, it's funny, we, the, the reason uh, Patrick's on today is I was actually, uh, I had a meeting with our other guest today earlier this week and, and the subject of Alaris came up. He was saying, oh, you know, this is what we do. And, and uh, I said, hang on a minute, we do that too. Um, so tell me uh, what's been keeping you busy this week, Patrick, and what is it that you guys do?
1: Yeah, thanks Nick. So look, one of the big projects we've got on at the moment is analyzing our data to help credit providers get a better idea of uh, high risk businesses uh, that are most likely to to run into trouble in the next 12 months or so. We know already that legal issues, court actions uh, are a strong lead indicator of financial stress and potential trouble. and and ultimately insolvency. And we're building some very interesting models and predictive tools to help help credit providers identify uh, those that, that may be most at risk
0: so it's all about crunching crunching data and uh, and making predictions out of that data. I know that we use you because we we you've got a service where um uh, you know we we list our clients on on your service plus we list uh, our clients' major debtors and major exposures that we have, and that way if there's anything adverse, we get a we get a, a, a an email or an alert from you. So that's what I understand your service to be. But you're also doing a lot of predictive stuff. How are you guys different from the other credit bureaus?
1: Yeah, so good question. And we get this all the time, Nick. So there's a a real common misperception in the market that credit reports uh, capture all court actions, or at least all court actions that are credit relevant. And the fact is that they actually don't. And in fact, most credit relevant court actions are not captured in credit reports. And there's really three key elements to that. Uh, One is... Or well, I'll start with what the credit reports do capture. Basically, if there's a monetary court claim that results in a judgment against the defendant, then that will appear on a credit report. So if, right. if for instance, I owed you money, you filed the claim against me, if the judgment was awarded against me, that would appear on my credit file. Yep. Most of those claims, however don't result in judgments because invariably we would mediate or or settle or or agree some other way to to resolve the dispute. Yeah. then won't appear on my credit file. Um, Secondly, as well, there's many types of court actions that by their nature don't result in a judgment. So setting aside a stat demand damages claim, injunctions, uh, intellectual property disputes, all these types of things don't result in a monetary judgment against one party or the other and therefore not captured in credit reports. Um, And thirdly, I'll just quickly touch on is where businesses are plaintiffs in matters, they are also not captured. So we see many examples where Uh, Businesses are owed money, they file claims in court to try to recover that money. If they ultimately don't get paid or if there's a long delay, then that can often cause that business itself to to run into serious trouble. And so, again, those matters uh, where businesses and plaintiffs uh, just simply aren't captured. So what we do is we cover often all those three key areas to make sure that credit providers get a more complete uh, picture of, of potential risk.
0: Okay, so you are uh, a little bit of a, an over the horizon type radar, uh, if I can, if I can sort of put it in that way. I'm just interested. I mean, looking through, you know, your LinkedIn profile, um, you know, you started this business uh, what four years ago. What what made you get into this?
1: Look, we, we identified this gap um, in credit reporting, basically where. We we previously had a strong background in insolvency and restructuring it. And we found a situation that occurred often, which was uh, companies would uh, fall over and creditors would um, quite often be completely unaware of, uh, of trouble sort of brewing. So we did some digging and, and just found this gap where a lot of credit providers just simply didn't know about material uh, court actions that, that were currently in court or, or previously in court that would, had they known at the time, they might have uh, proceeded very differently in terms of deciding whether they would give credit at all um, or what sort of security and, and what terms that they're willing to accept. So once we identified that gap, we, we just sort of jumped in and uh, built the platform and have been have been rolling it out since.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's great, Patrick. So what we're going to do is just pop you back into the waiting room, and then uh, we will introduce our next guest, who is Bruce Passetti. Good Bruce. How, How are you? Good. Yeah. good thanks How for having me on. No worries. Now, uh, Bruce is a uh, restructuring and insolvency professional and partner at Stratos Legal uh, up in Brisbane, where I was lucky enough to be this week. I did get an email from your government uh, when I got back in Sydney asking me where else (laughs) I might have been because I'm, uh, you know, a dirty New South Welshman. But uh, what's been keeping you busy this week, Bruce?
2: Oh, Nick, um, I'm happy to say that that we're seeing a pipeline of uh, work start to happen again. Our practice is built around insolvency, commercial debt and finance. And those three areas have been quiet the last 12 months, of course. But just in the last month or so, we're starting to have conversations, starting to see some activity of one sort or another. Um, and so we think that there will start to be more be movement happening in the market. So, you know, lots of coffees, lots of catching up with people. And I must say, I I talk to a lot of liquidators, and it's nice to have a conversation with them where they're not down in the dumps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's funny, you know, uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, who who we met up with this week was saying, accusing me of just having a platonic relationship with him now. You know, things have been a little (laughs) quiet. And uh, you know, I have to sort of reassure them that we still love them. But but I know that I know I certainly know the feeling. So so tell me, you, you what's the difference between commercial debt and finance? You said you do insolvency, commercial debt, and finance.
2: Oh, look, I when a commercial debt shorthand for commercial debt recovery, really. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. we're, we're, whilst we do a lot of debtor finance, we we would tend to just put that all into the finance bucket. Yeah, and then the commercial debt recovery is sort of tied up with that. Um, and of course insolvency always has debts attached to it
0: yeah and are you are you are you doing a work for debt collection agencies or, or for the financiers looking to to chase trade debts
2: both both we've got a number of debt collection agencies that we do work for and a number of financiers that we do work for and some independents of course that just uh, have fallen into a good habit of using us and and we're going to start to see a bit more activity happening there uh, as the uh, sugar hit from JobKeeper uh, starts to um, dry up. Uh, we think we'll start to see a bit more debt collection activity happening.
0: And you so, can so see that
2: in its numbers.
0: Yeah. So if... If you were to do, if you were sort of get up, which I'm not asking you to do, and do, you've got a lovely little whiteboard there behind you, but uh, you've cleaned mm. it, which is which is excellent. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, if we were to ask you to do a pie chart of those three areas in uh, insolvency, commercial debt, and finance, I mean, how would have that pie chart changed from say six months ago to the way it is now?
2: Sure, um, certainly the insolvency it was probably something like. Uh, 50% insolvency, 30% finance, 20% commercial debt recovery and others. Um, certainly seen the insolvency side of it shrink to yeah. probably 30%. The finance stuff has probably uh, grown a little bit. And look, we have taken on some work in areas that we wouldn't traditionally take on just because we were a little worried about what was happening out there in the economy. Yeah, but. Uh, and we'll sit, start to see normal service resume as this year unfolds.
0: And and you, you're doing uh, obviously when you're working for insolvency, you are working for the, the accountants, and when you're doing your your commercial debt and your finance, you're working for the finance businesses. But you also do yeah. a bit of advisory for, um, for for businesses as well, right? In terms of helping them navigate,
2: we we do. Um, we we tend to act for the for the liquidator or the financier. But we, we, we will act for for directors and, and others. We, we're not sort of uh, uh, dating exclusively. So we uh, will take on those other matters. And certainly, um, look, one of the things that we've been seeing in recent times is referrals from family lawyers. Right, um, as Stresses start to uh, uh, happen. You, you start to get consultations about what about this scenario is this insolvent is there another solution to the the family crisis
0: yeah 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 okay uh yeah i mean look it's 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 interesting um it's interesting to see that i I know when i go to functions with insolvency people and with lawyers it's you know that the 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 family lawyers are always there as a potential referral i guess uh, when things go wrong at home i don't know well we were talking about bill and melinda gates weren't we that was uh, You'd probably love to be yes. advising that one. You'd never have to. You'd never have to find another client <laughs> in your life. But uh, okay, all right. Well, look, we'll bring Patrick back. And uh, Patrick, just interesting. I mean, Bruce, uh, he's talking about he's got his uh, insolvency uh, segment. He's got his uh, you know debt recovery segment, and he's got his finance segments. I mean, what are the different uh, what are the different buckets that your customers fall into?
1: Yeah. So. About half of our business is uh, for credit providers. So we yep. we work with a lot of uh, non-bank lenders, invoice finance, asset finance, specialised lenders to help them with their uh, risk management. We also work with a lot of trade credit providers. So, say building industry suppliers, transport operators.
0: So, so Bruce, I mean, are you you do much with uh, trade credit providers. As in surprise, um, I guess.
2: Yeah. We have we've, we've got a couple couple of clients in, in that space. Um, I've got to say that most of those guys have become quite sophisticated and that they're using the the PPSA registrations. Yeah. Um, so they tend not to need to sue that much. Um yep because they've taken that level of security and, and they've got the ability to then e- exert some pressure, uh, the trade credit people tend to have been uh, early adopters of things like the PPSA and using those registrations to exert influence on their customers to, to get their debts sorted. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they put them into a secured position and, you know, they're using tools like those that Patrick has Um, So their credit department is getting ahead of the curve.
0: Uh, Okay. And, Patrick, so you were saying that you've got, obviously, the finance providers. You've also got uh, trade credit providers, so suppliers, you know, uh, and uh, so suppliers, trade credit providers. Uh, Anybody else that you? Yeah, and
1: so the other part of our business services are the professional service uh, providers, so lawyers, auditors, uh, insolvency practitioners and so on.
0: And are you finding any any trends in those different segments? Are you getting, you know, more traction in one segment versus the other, or what? What you know, what are your trade supplier clients telling you, for example, at the moment?
1: Look, a lot of them at the moment are actually tracking really well, and a lot of them are, are basically saying that their their sort of payment days outstanding are as low as they've ever been. However, they all seem to be. Despite things being great for them at the moment, they're all sitting just slightly uneasy thinking, you know, we're in a false reality here and is this the is this the calm before the storm or is it actually going to keep going like this?
0: Yeah, I mean none of us really believe it. But as I say, the reason you know, you've got to be upbeat. I mean, the fact is the economy is by you know, by by a lot of measures very strong. So um, you know that's you, you can't deny that and that's why I guess my theme today is you know what do they need to do to to, to make the most of uh, obviously good times but but not get caught out by the, by the dark side Bruce I'm just curious let's say you've got a client in your office who's mm-hmm. seeking advice and maybe they are a little bit ca- uh, cash flow constrained uh, yes. and one of, let's say they've got a major supplier who's yes. threatening to to take action or pull the rug on them uh, yep. and the client comes and says listen Bruce, uh, my You know, my major supplier, you know, supplies 50% of whatever my materials are. And they've said that unless I sign a GSA and, uh, and uh, you know, a caveat over my property, uh, they're going to attack me. What What's your advice, uh, you know,
2: generically yeah, in sure. those scenarios? Well, one of the first things that if you're in that situation, you need cash. Yeah. And so one of the first things that we do is, say, so, well, what does your own debtor letter look, ledger look like? Where are you going to raise the cash from? And often debtors is one of the, the first things to to look at. So if I had somebody in that situation right now, I would be wanting to go through that debtor ledger line by line, find out whether the, that debt is collectible. Yep. Um, yep. You know, is, is it? Is it an artificial debt? How often do yeah. you see a situation? Oh, that's actually my my, my brother, Fred, who I'll never yeah. ever yeah. see for the money. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, or they're supplying into an industry that you are thinking, gee, that would be COVID ravaged. You know, you're supplying in, into <laughs> hospitality, for example. Yeah. Um, you So looking at the quality of, of, of debt and yeah. then Being prepared to go to that big, if if somebody is a big supplier of that significance, um, to say to them, look, I've got an action plan here, I'm collecting my debtors, and perhaps even going as far as offering up some sort of deed of repayment to say, look, I don't hit my goals within 30, 60 days, then put the caveat on. But if you do it now, it might cruel me in other ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you're raising a whole bunch of other issues there. I'm wondering, yeah. you know, then, then, of course, they're in that situation where they know that there's uh, insolvency and there's preference claims and all that sort of stuff. What I'm wondering, yeah. that, well, yeah, I mean, look, just as a general comment is that, you know, um, you know once they give up security to one supplier, then it, it does cruel your ability to raise cash to pay the other suppliers. You know, we, we see them yeah. cross that. Listen, Patrick, um, you published, uh, uh, you do a monthly update, I think, and you had a May update. And I just wondered if we can step through uh, some of the highlights of that with your uh, copyright permission. That I think you've extended us for the purpose of this. <laughs> so um, just if we can show, uh, show some of the data that you guys crunch. So there's a bit of a story in three graphs here. So we'll show the first graph. Um, so what's yeah. going on here?
1: Yeah, so what we're looking at here is the, the blue bars there are basically the monthly insolvencies uh, so far this year and the orange bars are the corresponding numbers pre-COVID. So we're not looking at last year, we're looking at basically a three year average uh, pre-COVID. And we're just trying to understand how the the current uh, lay of the land compares to to how things were uh, pre-COVID. And what you can see is historically, January has always been a quiet month insolvency wise. And in January and February of this year, we were barely at, at half of sort of historical uh, rates, but that yeah. has definitely started to trickle up now. Where in April, we're up to 73% of, of uh, what it used to be. So. Yeah, the key sorry, technology. is
0: what it is what it used to be is that last year or is that a sort of No, amalgamate? so
1: this is pre-COVID, so it's a 3-year average from right. 2017 to 2019.
0: Okay, so we'll just quickly throw that slide back up again. So, yeah, so that's a, that's not just last year, it's an amalgam and as you say those so those numbers are are creeping up. I guess what uh, what I'd love to see is a breakup of that blue, of those uh, by type liquidation and administration, and, et cetera. So then you've got the next slide. Uh, and what's going on here?
1: Yeah, so this is looking at, and I touched on our analytics uh, at the beginning, that this is now looking at how many insolvencies do we have uh, data, court action data, that precedes the insolvency. So... And you can see here in many cases, you know, approaching 50% before companies ultimately fall over, they may be involved in one or more uh, legal battles. And the idea is to understand uh, the trend and that pattern to see if, if possibly we can foreshadow some of these things or, or at least to make our customers more aware of, of potential risks that might be lurking.
0: And so, are you saying that, let's say that number of forty-five percent in April, you're saying that's num- that, that's you've got that in your data, but it's not necessarily uh, always surfaces in other credit agency data?
1: Yeah, exactly right. So, so there's basically very little overlap between our data and the credit bureau data. So we we don't have their data and vice versa. So what we're saying here is, in April, forty-five percent of insolvencies had. Prior issues in our data set that that certainly potentially
2: people would not have been aware of.
0: Any any comment on that, Bruce?
2: Well, look, it matches up with the with the anecdotal evidence that I um, am hearing on the streets. Um, my next comment is: if you don't want to go insolvent, don't see a lawyer. By the looks of those <laughs> <laughs> figures, <laughs> and and the third thing is that Patrick's. Um spot on with that ability to that he has to collect the data that shows that the insolvent company doesn't just have a judgment against them but they're trying to sue somebody which means that they've got a debt outstanding and all that all of those things come into play um so yeah um matches up with what you're hearing on the streets for sure
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, yeah. I I wonder. I mean, just without going sort of too heavily into it, but it, it, does the fact that Bruce, you know, if, if there is public data on a court action uh, against yeah. a company, um, a business is generally expected to be aware of that. I mean, to what extent does that does that play on you knowing that that company had issues? before you supply them when it comes to preference payments or is that not a defence or
2: well yeah sure so you know i mean if somebody's about to be is in the process of being wound up there are notices that get lodged with ASIC that are deemed to be on the public record but um, as a matter of fact reasonable ordinary business people don't search for those things right um, and and so wouldn't be expected to be uh alive to it, yeah. um, might be a different thing if they've been getting Patrick's report every um, uh, month, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. then they should be expected to know about it. But, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we're talking about here is someone, one supplier getting paid ahead of other suppliers uh knowing that uh, that the wheels are uh, about to come off and whether or not that's reasonable that you should be aware of that okay so let's go to your third uh, the third slide there patrick um so tell us what's going on here
1: yeah so what we're looking at here is basically we track all of the the key types of court matters that most commonly proceed insolvencies and we've just uh, graphed out a few of those here, where you can see on the right uh, the, the type of actions that we've plotted out. And the the key message here is is just to show that activity in the courts has definitely started to ramp up, and, and we're expecting that to continue. And what we're seeing in particular at the moment is a lot of the larger credit providers uh, and also the um, non-bank lenders have started to become increasingly active at chasing uh, unpaid debts. So, a lot of those last year would have provided uh, repayment holidays. They're now starting to knock on the door and, and expecting to get paid. So that's that's what we're seeing play out in the data.
0: Now, now I, I, I see. So the winding up applications. Now that's generally available data. Um, yes. So now, so. Are you, how much of of this stuff is beneath the surface in your data versus the sort of stuff that you would normally expect to see? So the wind ups you see, uh, these commercial disputes you don't necessarily see. State debt recovery, I mean, you might see that. What? So what? How do you differentiate that out?
1: Yeah. Look, again, most of these things you you just won't find on uh, credit reports. Again, unless they specifically result in a in a monetary judgment. Um, but the reason why we plot this out is, is in, our, in our analysis, we can see that the ones listed here are some of the, the most common ones. And a few of them are very intuitive. You, you would obviously expect money only claims and winding ups to, to play a key role. Some of them are a little bit less intuitive. So we find that, for instance, fair work claims are actually quite a strong indicator of potential trouble which what we right. didn't necessarily expect but mm.
0: so fair work is in the gray yeah I, I guess we're not seeing the yeah so they are quite tracking up
1: yeah they are and, and i guess the logic there is if if there's a lot of instances of employees taking legal action against their employer then you know that potentially indicates there's uh, there's some troubles there on the home front
0: any comments on on the, on what you're seeing there there bruce i mean are oh, the ato isn't there because I guess they're yeah. not doing anything. Any sort of commentary that you...
2: Well, it's a, it is a very interesting observation regarding fair work claim. Patrick, I do have one question in terms of the commercial dispute and money owing claim, claims. What's, is there a, a floor below which you don't bother recording? So, you know, if I'm suing for a $1,000, would that be in the data?
1: Yeah, no, they're all in the data, so that that would just, uh, w- within the, the next layer of detail, that would just show you which uh, court that the claim is in, so whether it's in yeah. a magistrate's or, so. or in a higher court. But yeah. the commercial disputes, they're, they're typically things such as you know, an intellectual property dispute or it could be an injunction or a damages claim or... Just two parties that, that that, you know, a party to yeah. a contract, one hasn't um honored their their obligations and the other one's suing them yeah. and looking for some sort of um some sort of recourse through the courts to to, to get the other party to play ball.
0: I mean look one yeah. way or another, assuming that you're applying the same standard for data collection, you know, that's building up. I mean, anyway, any which way you look uh, you know, there's no doubt that uh you know, I mean, it's doubled since January, as you would expect, I suppose, some increase from January because everyone's away, but uh, there's definitely a trend there. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's fair to say that, um, you know, there might be a sting in the tail. Uh, uh, there might be a sting in the tail here. Okay. Any, any, uh, any sort of last comments on that slide before we move on, Patrick?
1: No, no, no not not from me.
0: Okay. All right. So look, um, you know, I've, I've just got a few quick headlines that I was going to just, just zip through just to show you, you know, if you look at the news this week, uh, we'll just go through them one at a time, just very briefly. Headline number one, it's raining money for banks and budgets. So we know that uh, there's, there's this money all over the place. And then we've got the next one, which is uh, M&A boom hits record level in Dash for Deals uh, and we know that uh, there's just so much activity in the M&A space. You, I was saying to someone the other day, you pick up the financial review these days and two-thirds of the, the first page is all uh, M&A activity. It's it's, it's just amazing uh, how much uh, is going on there. And that's just money trying to find a home. There's so much of it about. And then we've got the third one, which is RBA nails down nails rates down as economy pumps. I mean, this is interesting, I think, because... You know, the RBA is holding the rates down, but those house prices are getting out of control, I would have thought. Uh, so, you know, low interest rates, plenty of easy money. I, I just wonder, um, you know, in all this activity that, you, that you're seeing, Patrick, and I'll ask you as well, Bruce, is, is much of this collection activity that you said you've seen a ramp up in, is much of that fintechs?
1: Yeah, a lot of it is the, the non-bank lenders. So you yeah. the second, third, fourth tier lenders who... Yeah. Uh, provided a lot of repayment holidays and concessions um, last year who are now obviously trying to shore up their own balance sheet. And they're saying, look, we, um, you know, we, we've given you plenty of time now. Um, we, we'd like to get paid.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm interested because a lot, a lot of the fintechs obviously uh, were having a good time, a good a jolly old time lending, uh, lending like crazy. And I, I thought whilst obviously there's a lot of experienced people that are within those firms, the firms themselves obviously didn't have a lot of experience. And I wonder what it was going to be like when, uh, you know, because obviously the the fun part of lending is giving the money out, but uh, sometimes you've got to go and chase it to get it back again.
1: Yeah, and look, it's certainly the case, uh, Nick, that a lot of the fintechs. Um, for for a good chunk of last year, uh, stopped lending. Um, You know, some of them stopped lending altogether. Some of them only uh, kept lending to existing clients and didn't take on any new ones. So so there's definitely a lull in terms of new origination last year. Yeah. But we are seeing
2: that pick up again
0: uh, this year. Bruce?
2: Yeah, we're seeing... um, Similar things, but you know, what I mean, you talk about the headlines, Nick, and and, and there's NAB today. Just hold
0: that one NAB. a little bit closer.
2: Now that's yeah. NAB. So
0: it says uh, NAB. We have a, we have a head start on bad debt. So what's that about?
2: Well, that's um, NAB basically boasting that they didn't give people as much, um, weren't as lenient with their customers as others, and yeah. that that they are. Uh, Already moving in on on what they see to be troubled industries: retail, yeah. aviation, um, yeah. transport. So yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it's are you seeing that in your?
0: Are you seeing that in your practice?
2: Uh, not at this stage. Um, and I mean, I think that Patrick's numbers bear out that these things are, are are starting to trend in a in a direction, but we're not seeing a, a huge um increase in that sort of activity.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh I mean look it is it, it is interesting. I mean historically you know back in the 90s uh you know when the recession that we had to have and all that sort of stuff uh, you know Patrick may not remember that you, know, you might be a bit young too yourself Bruce but uh you know the, the nab was uh, famous for uh sort of p- pulling back before before things got ugly, they they seemed uh, there's a couple of times when they sort of seemed to have had a sixth sense and and uh, they pull back while the other lenders were lending like crazy. But you, you're thinking that maybe this time they're, uh, they're they're first to get their money back, maybe ahead of everybody else. And that's one of the things that we're wondering is when who's going to go first. So um, so I'm going to make that my closing question to you. I'll come to you first, Bruce, and then to you, Patrick. Who is going to go first? Is it going to be the ATO? Is it going to be the banks? What do you think?
2: I think the banks will hold off as long as they can. They don't want to be seen to be the bad guys. And at some point, surely uh, the the Deputy Commissioner is going to have to get some money in to pay for all of these programs. So okay. I think it'll be the Commissioner.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you think it'll be the ATO? Uh, again, you know, I was promised uh, someone told me that there was going to be 100, 100 windups from the ATO a week. Uh, starting in May. I haven't seen them yet. Uh, you know, it's funny you go around town and you talk to all these experts and, you know, someone says, oh, I've been talking to the ATO and they said 100 a week. And then you talk to someone else and they said, well, I was talking to the ATO and they said, not this calendar year. So what What about yourself, Patrick? What? Um, who's going to go first, do you think? Yeah, do you, do
1: you well, good, good question, Nick. I, I think the optics around the ATO winding up 100 businesses a week would just be you know, really poor and, and prohibitive. Uh, what I think they'll do is they'll target sort of the, the, the bad actors who, who owe a lot and who aren't really coming to the table in terms of wanting to negotiate payment plans and so on. I think they'll start there and then they'll slowly start to, to work their way through. So I don't think they're going to be particularly heavy-handed, sort of too hard, too early. But they'll ease into it. And and I suspect the the big banks will probably do uh, much of the same where they'll as Bruce said, I, I think they'll carry their customers along um as long as they can, or albeit they'll they'll start to certainly tighten over time.
0: Okay. All right, guys. Well, look, uh, I think we will call it a wrap there. I'm going to uh, to thank you uh, very much uh, for coming on Lunch Money. Uh, Bruce Bassetti the, the, uh, uh, from uh, Stratus Legal and Patrick Schweitzer from Alara's Systems. Well, thank you very much for joining me, guys.
1: Yeah, terrific, Nick. Thanks for having us.
0: Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. See ya.